So this uh, beautiful, noble eightfold path that leads to awakening and is so applicable and elusive at times too. Um, so we were speaking last night about right view and right understanding and that uh, the right view, right understanding is very much about bringing attention into the present and, and recognizing how um, when we are uh, trying to make deals with the present or um, pushing or pulling you know, what is going on to try and make it the way we want, the result is dukkha. And it's easy to say it and not so easy to let go of doing it. But it's good to know that that is the cause. And then uh, huge support for uh, dwelling in right view and for uh, turning around the, the, the ship of the habits of the mind is uh, <coughs> cultivating right thought or right intention. And uh, so the Buddha speaks about th- uh, three the three kinds of wrong thought and the three kinds of right thought. So thoughts of sensual desire, thoughts of of harm and thoughts of ill will being uh, thoughts that are are taking us off track, off the path. And uh, it kind of sounds quite quite sort of strong terms, you know, thoughts of harm. We, We might not think of ourselves as having harmful thoughts, you know. You might think, well, I'm, I'm basically a pacifist, you know, I'm a kind of kind person, I don't have harmful thoughts. And it may be that you really don't, which would be wonderful, but it may be that, that they are subtly there, you know, subtle undermining thoughts of wanting to cause harm to yourself or, or to others. And, and harm can be even to the extent of just not wanting to somebody to flourish, you know. Not allowing yourself to flourish, or not wanting someone else to flourish, feeling, you know, mean-hearted or jealous, resentful around someone else, and so there are these little microaggressions that add up to something quite undermining. So, thoughts. So it's really important to look at uh, where our minds, you know, where our minds do that, where we have those tendencies, and and if we do. Just to look at where does that come from? Where does that come from? What am I looking for? What do I want from that? And uh, recognizing that it, it is leading to dukkha. It leads to dukkha for oneself and for others. And uh, thoughts of ill will are a bit more maybe obvious. Unless you don't have any. So you can really get into those resentful, annoyed mind states with people. And then there'll be those pet people, you know, who always who always land who always like who like the trigger for the thoughts of ill will to arise. So this is something to be really careful around. And it you know, it, it happens, the untrained mind goes there, that's what happens. And uh, so to be careful around that and to recognize that that's, you know, those, those sorts of ill will, they, they will arise. It's not like we're supposed to make ourselves into these 
beautiful, pure, angelic beings who, you know, who are just always perfect. But we, we need to look at, well, what's here? What's here in this imperfect conglomeration of things? Lots of good and lots of nothing in particular and lots of maybe a little bit of not so great. And then what's here? To turn towards what's here and have a look. So, uh, so those thoughts of ill will I was saying last night about, about blaming, you know, that, that's, blaming is a very easy way to, to remain in the, in the idea of being justified in those thoughts. So in a way it's like a kind of a trick of Mara, where you can, can just keep those thoughts of ill will going, because you can feel justified, and, but it's, they're actually kind of doing harm to you, to, to me, to us, as practitioners and as, as people with the potential to awaken, which is, which is really everyone. So recognizing when that, that happens, you know, when there's the, the griping and the grudging and the resenting and the, you know, the, and especially if it gets really stuck around a certain person or certain people or certain situation, it can get very entrenched. So just like recognizing when that happens and, and, uh, and that this is not the path. <laughs> it's the path to a solidifying ego, it is not the path to <laughs> freedom. And it's hard because sometimes, you know, the ego feels justified and wants to, you know, wants to go on about why it shouldn't be this way and why they shouldn't be that way. And so it's a difficult one, but, it, but it, just recognizing that those thoughts are, for, first of all, keeping us off track, off the path. And they are doing harm to ourselves and to others. So, uh, and then the thoughts of sensuality, which is actually the first in the list of three. But thoughts of sensuality, which seem initially harmless enough, especially when they're just, just in the thought realm, not even doing anything. It seems like, well, what's the problem, you know? Um, but obviously, you know, thought leads, leads, to, leads to action, you know, what we think is what we become. So, as, yes, just as I was saying last night, the, the sense world, it's, it's full of promise. It's full of promises of, of delight and gratification. And we can experience that delight and gratification for moments through the sense world, but then it's gone. Because the world is fleeting and because our senses the sense experience is changing all the time, all the time, all the time. It's never still for a moment. So if we're trying to get some kind of lasting happiness out of something that's fleeting, we're going to be disappointed. It's, it's, it's just inevitable. There's no way around that. So, um, you know, can, there can be... Uh, you know, we, 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 live, we, we live in the sense world that we are, you know, our bodies are sensitive. We experience the sense, we sense impact all the time. So we're going to experience, you know, sense pleasure, sense, sense pain. 
and uh, and it's not to say that to enjoy to have mudita, you know, to appreciate the good, appreciate the beautiful, is is wrong. It's not not at all. So just just like even right now, I just see through the window back there, the morning light on a on a on a um, tree trunk with a few fir branches in front of it, and it's very beautiful. It's very beautiful. It's very peaceful, and and there's something just kind of lovely about it, and it's and it's changing. You know, the the light's changing, and and I'm just seeing it from this one perspective. And if you look out, you might see something else. And so there, there's nothing. There's no harm at all. In fact, it's wholesome to appreciate the the beautiful, to appreciate what is what is present in the moment. But it's uh, when there's when we're trying to get something from it, we want to get more. That's where it starts to go off, and I think that's as a as a as a race. <laughs> I mean, as the human race, you know, that's where we've gone really wonky. Where we, we 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 see something good, and then we want to have more, or we want it to last forever. So we we take maybe we take a photo of that, and then we then we you know reproduce it, and then we have laminated copies, and then you know <laughs> and we put more plastic in the world. And, <laughs> and actually, the beauty of it was just in the moment, in, in the moment of that touch of sunlight. So I'm not saying taking photos is a bad thing either. It's not, but, but just how we can, we, how we can create, um, how we want to, we want to hold on to what is pleasant, and we want to have more of what is pleasant. And that uh, is one of the really huge sources of, of dukkha in the world. Huge. You know the the whole sex trade, sex slave trade, and in uh, it's very strong in, in um, China and, and Thailand, and oh, it's probably all over the world actually. But that's where where there's um where where human beings become commodities, out you know not from their own choice, or uh, you know so. Pretty much everything in the world we've made into a commodity. Forests are commodities, animals are commodities, human beings are commodities, water is a commodity. I've even heard about selling air in some countries where it's really, really poor quality air. So air becomes a commodity. And this is where the, the, the sense desire has gone kind of crazy, where we've we've kept following what we want, trying to get more of what we want. And uh, in doing so, we've created kind of a disaster. And sometimes, you know, I, I love to be in nature, and, and uh, sometimes when I'm in nature, I just think, gosh, if, if we could just take in well, how, how spectacular, how amazing and beautiful this is, we wouldn't be constantly running after things, you know. I mean, we need to eat, we need to be warm enough, dry enough. But if we could just take in what is already here, it's abundant. But you can only really take it in when there's presence. When we're not present, we're just looking for the next thing and waiting for the next thing and hoping for something better. So, uh, so the antidote to uh, that kind of addiction to sensuality is thoughts of renunciation. So renunciation doesn't sound very cool, 
and uh, it sounds like a difficult thing, but it, it, when we realize um, it's like renunciation is giving up something that gives us a little gratification for something that gives us a greater happiness. So it's giving up something good in order to make room for something much, much better. And uh, if anyone has has been caught in addiction, then then it's you can really recognise the the relief of renunciation, even though that the craving might still be there, the wanting might take a long time to go away. There's a relief in renouncing what was giving you that pleasure, what was giving you that hit, what was giving you that relief, because you realise that that was giving you relief for a little while, but then it was getting you more and more entrenched, more and more lost, more and more destroying your life, more and more. So then the renunciation gives you a chance to reclaim what is rightfully yours, which is to be fully here, to be present to recognize the wholeness that is already yours. So just to get to know our, the way our minds go, not with a, you know, a disapproving judge, not like tut tut tut, you know, you're not supposed to be having those sensual thoughts, or oh, there you go again, you know, ill will again, or, and not with that, but just to recognize, okay, where's it, where does this mind go? Where does it go? And uh, for me, I don't know how people do this without meditation. For me, meditation was the, the, the way, you know, when I first started to really see what this mind does and where it goes, so through sitting still, trying to watch my breath, not getting much of a moment on the breath, but getting plenty of insight into the mind <laughs> and how crazy it was, you know. <laughs> And, uh, and then once you see it, and you realize that that's basically controlling your life, then you want to start turning it around. So, you know, in the beginning it's the really big stuff, and it can be kind of quite a battle. And then as time goes by, we can get a handle on the bigger stuff, and we can get our life together much better, and then there's the more subtle, the more subtle wantings, the more subtle wanting to destroy the more subtle aversion that comes in. And uh, so getting to know those more subtle um, thoughts, I suppose, or you know, those more subtle ways that the mind still wants to, to have and get rid of. And I uh, was just looking through the, the suttas, and the, the Buddha gives this similar. He, he, in the, he, he often talks about like there are four kinds of people, or there are two kinds of people, and, and there might be like four kinds, many different four kinds of people. But there's this one sutta in the Anguttara Nikaya Book of Fours where he says there are four kinds of people. There are those who go on retreat. And uh, so, and, and in his, he's saying like into seclusion, and but their minds are filled with thoughts of sensuality, thoughts of of harm, and thoughts of ill will. And there are those who go on retreat, and their minds 
are, or there, there are those who don't go on retreat, I'm not sure I'm going to get it all down there, there are those who don't go on retreat uh, and their minds are, are free from thoughts of sensuality, thoughts of harm, thoughts of ill will. And then there are those who go on retreat. Oh, I'm going to get stuck. I can see it coming. <laughs> anyway, there are those who are there are those who are on retreat and have those thoughts, and there are those who are on retreat who don't have those thoughts, and then there are those who are not on retreat who have those thoughts, and there are those who are not on retreat who. Where am I? Do not have the thoughts. <laughs> Should have brought the sutra along. <laughs> who don't have them? Yeah. And uh, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I kind of liked it because because I was thinking, oh yeah, here we all are, you know, on retreat, and and uh, and then some of us are and some of us aren't, or, or we are some of the time and we aren't some of the time. And then he's also saying, like, you know, you can be in the world and in the busy life, and and yet your your mind is in retreat because it's not filled with. Thoughts of sensual desire, thoughts of harm, and thoughts of ill will. So that's kind of nice, you know. You can, so it's like you're, when the when the mind is trained, then you can actually just be out in the world and doing your thing. And and, it, and it, the Buddha speaks about it as like bit like being on retreat. And, uh, and likewise, you can be on retreat, looking really, you know, impressive with a very good posture and all that. And, and people might look at you and think, oh, I wish I could meditate like them. And then inside, you're just fantasizing and thinking about all these things. You know, so the, I think the, the Pali for those words is the is, uh, kaya viveka, the, the body, bodily seclusion, and chitta viveka, mental or heart seclusion. So the, the, with chitta viveka, the heart is secluded from the kilesas or the, the defilements of the mind. So, um, so you know, we've got this. We've got the relatively chitta viveka, the uh, kaya viveka, the bodily seclusion, so to speak. Although we're together in a room, but we, you know, have our our retreat time. But then, you know, how are we using our minds in this in this retreat time? So, uh, another little sutta the Buddha wrote this one down. So the Buddha. So I spoke about four qualities, and this is in a sutta called Unmistakable, in the Anguttara Nikaya Book of Fours. One who possesses four qualities is practicing the unmistakable way, and has laid the groundwork for the destruction of the taints. So that means for, for uh, complete freedom. What for? The thought of renunciation the thought of goodwill, the thought of non-harming and right view. One who possesses these four qualities is practicing the unmistakable way and has, led to, to, and has laid the groundwork for the destruction of the taints. So, uh, so this is very, very important. And, uh, you know, like I said in the beginning, it can seem like, you know, what we do with our minds doesn't matter that much, you know. Nobody can tell, nobody really knows, and we're kind of getting by, and we're keeping the precepts, and we're just, you know, just letting the mind go into those places, it's all right. And, but, you know, where our mind goes, sooner or later our speech and body goes too. So, uh, very, very important to take care around 
earlier thoughts. And uh, and like I said before, you know, not to not to be judgmental or, or um, punitive, but to be interested, and then to to guide this uh, wayward mind into a direction that can be liberating. So I'd also like to read a poem from Maddie's book. We're going to be reading a few poems from this book through the retreat. I don't often read poems, but I do read these poems. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so this is the poem of Tissa the Third. It's one of the enlightened nuns. It's a contemporary translation. Why stay here in your little dungeon? If you really want to be free, make every thought a thought of freedom. Break your chains, tear down the walls, then walk the world a free woman. So it's a, it's a nun speaking to other women, but you can say free person, free man. Let's read it one more time. Why stay here in your little dungeon? If you really want to be free, make every thought a thought of freedom. Break your chains, tear down the walls, then walk the world a free woman. I like that first, I mean I like the whole poem, but I I love that image of why stay here in your little dungeon? Because it can be like that sometimes. The dungeon of what's familiar. The dungeon of what's known. The dungeon of what's conditioned. So you've got to break down the walls of that dungeon. Set ourselves free.